Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Film Club Podcast. We are coming at you live through the power of the internet as me and my lovely girlfriend go back and forth, talking about movies, picking up movies, and watching some very strange guilty pleasures this week. Miss Boo, what are we watching? This week, for our guilty pleasure month, we are watching Romeo and Juliet, the 1996 version, the classic version by Baz Luhrmann. Yeah, that's... uh... Maybe not. Um, I got. It, I got it's opinions. a classic. It's it's beloved by many. I I got opinions. And it's the most um, the most profitable version of a Shakespearean play to ever be produced. I got my opinions. Dean always has opinions, but also Happy New Year. We are in the first week of January, so we are in the first week of January. Happy New Year, everybody. Hopefully 2021 is a better year than 2020 was. Oh, I'm hoping it is. But I guess the first thing to do is to jump in to Romeo plus Juliet because it's a plus sign. It's not an and, it's a plus sign. But that's besides the point. So, Boo, you picked this as your guilty pleasure pick for the month of January. I did. So why do you think this is a guilty pleasure film? It's a guilty pleasure film because, you know, it's a romantic kind of chick flick kind of film uh i feel like tiny bit guilty that i love it as much as i do but i will fight for this movie okay how much do you love this movie this is like a top five movie a top 10 movie maybe top 20 because i like a lot of movies okay okay see i always took guilty pleasure movies as they're in your top 10 ish but you if you ever told anybody they were in your top 10, you'd feel really bad about it? I wouldn't feel bad. It's just there's a ton of movies that I like, so I'd rather extend the list so I mm-hmm. give myself some more space. Okay. But but it's in the top 20. No worries, no worries. Well, I guess the first thing we should get out of the way is, oh my god, this movie is edited by a cokehead. Hey, I mean, it's early 90s, you know. They did what they had to do back then. Boo, are you serious? Like, okay, I get it. You like this movie, but the editing in this movie is insane. They put, they basically put the trailer of the movie is the opening title card. Yeah. And the whole gunfight at the beginning is so bad. It's so insane. I mean, that gunfight did take seven days to shoot. So. That took seven days to shoot? That took seven days to shoot in Veracruz, Mexico. Because most of this film is shot in Mexico. Mexico City, some in Veracruz. So for me, I was able to pick up kind of on the backgrounds. and like, that That gives me, you know, a, a Mexico kind of vibe. Just the desert. But yeah, it took seven days to shoot. I'm not okay with that. You're not okay with anything unless it's your pick. Well, no, I'm like, look, I was okay with Edward Scissorhands. I was okay with a lot of movies. This film has issues across the board that though i can understand why this would be a a guilty pleasure pick that somebody would enjoy you know young leo is in fact dreamy for all those teenage girls out there he's very dreamy and you know nice romance story it's romeo and juliet it's a very quote unquote modern interpretation of it Mm -hmm. but the fundamentalist view of the source material where they all talk with the pure shakespearean dialogue of the play is a little interesting because only like half the cast can actually say it with any gusto i mean it's rough to speak in that that kind of uh that language i mean you see you know people in place trying to you know portray these parts and some of them they they stumble or they fall but you know, some does, pe- does Doth protest too much, my fair maiden, Boo? Oh no, he's already gonna start. Well, he he I... was talking like this before the episode even, you know, was being filmed or recorded. So, well, I good did, luck, guys. I did Shakespeare in high school. I had to like, so I took like theater in like my senior year of high school because yeah. it was a, basically a free class. Mm-hmm. But they made me have to like recite Shakespeare. That was basically most of high school theater. Or like half the semester is you're gonna do Shakespeare. You're gonna re- memorize sonnets. You're gonna memorize scenes. You're gonna act them out because that's like the baseline theater stuff you need to know to do theater is Shakespeare. 
because in you know the western world everybody does shakespeare you can go to any playhouse in the world and there's a shakespeare play you can get a line in well for claire danes this was her first shakespearean thing that she's ever done she didn't do anything in high school i believe this is the first thing that leo did too for shakespeare i'm not sure in my research i was only finding that this was her first time doing shakespeare so and maybe you you can tell because she's so okay have you ever like met somebody who's reciting a language but they don't know what it means yeah hashtag dean spanish yeah it's pretty rough yes so like i don't really speak spanish at all competently i understand a bit of it i could get a couple lines in edgewise but i'm not reciting things that i know i'm just i know this phrase roughly means this thing but i don't know where the emphasis is Mm -hmm. that's how they recite shakespeare they don't they can't connect the emotion to the delivery and it's really weird unless they're like yelling it which like Claire Danes is really guilty of it. Leo is really guilty of it. But granted, like, oh, who who played uh, Mercutio? Mercutio was played by Harold. I'm gonna butcher his last name. Perry Noea. Yeah, maybe. I know. I know him because he. I believe he was on Lost. He's yeah. been in a bunch of things. He can really do Shakespeare. Oh, totally, totally. Like, you, he knows how to connect the emotion to the language and really make it work. There's, um... He was meant to be Mercutio. He he just embodies this character. You would believe that this is, you know, a real person. Oh, yeah. The way he just, you know, he walks around, you know, he breathes this character. He is so believable as Mercutio in the film. Oh, yeah, no, he is, he is fantastic. There's also, um, the... God, who was the priest character? The priest? Priest. He was the one who did the, the yeah. marriage ceremony. Yeah, Father Lawrence was Pete uh, Postlewaite. Yeah, so him, like that guy is probably an actual Shakespearean actor because he can oh, sing probably. those lines. Yeah, he's he's been a, around for a while, but you know it's kind of funny that you bring up Father Lawrence mm-hmm. because during the you know pre-production for the film, apparently Marlon Brando wanted to be Father Lawrence. I heard about that, and I'm like, look, Brando, Brando, buddy no like this is but that 90s... would have been so cool but it's 96 brando that's island of dr moreau brando that's not that's not hunk streaker named desire brando well, that's obviously. not even elder statesman of cinema godfather brando that's that's like i wear the ice bucket on my head to to hide like dolphin fin in island of dr moreau brando Hey, Brando's Brando. Yeah, I get it. I, yeah. I love him. That would have been interesting to see him as Father Lawrence. But I think the actor that they chose is perfect for this uh, this act for this character. This interpretation in the yes. of the film, yeah. Like, that's my thing with the film in general is it feels like only half the cast knows what they're doing. Yeah. Like, um, John Leguizamo. John Leguizamo? fine actor i've seen him in things i like i've seen him in things where he's not great but he's good i've mm-hmm. seen him in movies where he's basically the saving grace acting wise yeah but oh my god he's so like tone deaf in this movie i mean granted he's trying to play badass tibble like flashy gunplay guy but I, it's pretty cool it, i guess but every it's Every time he talks, I just, like, I don't know if you actually understand what you're saying. I mean, granted, like, his opening line where it's like, peace. I don't know the word. Like, that, I get Mm -hmm. that because he's trying to do, like, a, it feels like he's trying to do a Clint Eastwood thing, but whatever. Or you were just, you know, doing Doing this this interpretation in the car and it came out as Clint Eastwood, so. Life happens. Yeah. But I I think, you know, he did a good job as portraying, you know, the, 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 evil Tibble, the evil cousin that you know is out to get all the montagues because this family is just you know either side we're gonna kill everybody from the other side this is our enemy yeah and like i i look i get it this is a very elevated world in terms of like what's going on like i get that everything is it's baz lermanized all right everything is dialed up to 11 all the colors are super oversaturated. Mm-hmm. All the, like, characters are these big, bombastic, huge emotions, mm-hmm. stuff like that. Like, the, you can tell this is a very artistic interpretation yeah. of the material. But 
but I don't know if it's a good interpretation of the material. I mean, it's fundamentalist. Everything that is said in the movie is an exact one-for-one one of things said in the play. It is. And the staging of action, artistically done. There's some actually very good shots and there's good artistic choices, but I'm getting to the butt part, and yeah. I don't know if they, the casting was very good. I don't know if the... A lot of things in this movie just kind of don't work. Like the gunfight scene in the beginning. It's a cartoon, and I guess that's... Yeah, that's it, what he it's was humorous. Yeah, yeah, it's humorous. I guess that's what he was going for, sure. But, like, I it, I don't think it plays well. Granted, this is also a thing where I'm, I am not a teenage... I was not a teenage person who grew up with this movie. I saw this, like, out after high school. No, I think I saw this, like, my senior or junior year of high school. Where it was, like, I was already well past the, the thing for this movie. I guess the target audience for this. I don't know. Because I, I feel people watch this movie so they don't have to read the play when they have to do a book report. Oh, no, you, you still have to read the book. I mean... It, the, the play? The, the play, yes. You yes. still have to read the play because... Especially the side-by-side -side where you have the Old English and Modern English so you're able to interpret what they're saying. It's not Old English. Well, what is it, then? It's Modern... Okay, so um, I actually know a phrase of, of Old English, like true Old English... That's literally here upon Fair Verona is where we lay our scene. Because Old English is like a, like thousands and thousands of years old. There's actually a thing called Old English, there's Middle English, and Shakespeare is, is modern English. It's just uses some weird antiquated words, and he's writing in iambic, pentam iambic pentameter or something like that. I am not very smart. I just know factoids that I read on the internet. But that's basically what it is. It's only dif difficult to interpret because it's, like, kind of an archaic form of writing. It's mm -hmm. kind of like if you read, like, um, H.P. Lovecraft or Edgar Allan Poe, they use their modern... It's modern language. It's just a very old style of phrasing and prose and stuff like that. Yeah. Shakespeare, you can read Shakespeare now and you get you understand everything. It's just written in a very flowery interpretation would be a, a good way to put it. Yeah, I'm one of the people that I need the side-by-side -side book so that I can see, oh, okay, this is what he's trying to say. But the but the poetry is in the is in the language. It is, but, you know, not everyone can interpret it the way that you can. So I'm one of the people that I need to see it side-by-side, -side, and then once I read it, then I can tell, okay, this is what we're, what we're doing, this is what we're trying to say. Well, it might just be my thing where I just don't find the language that hard to interpret, but I guess, yeah, for some it might be a little weird but how they're using it in in the film is just kind of i don't know it's just awkward it's just awkward to me i'm also dyslexic too so you know reading alone sometimes the words move on you and then having you know what he's trying to convey written in such a, a fashion that some of the things are kind of backwards doesn't really help so yeah I, i'm gonna continue buying more books like that that give me an explanation to what he's trying to say. Well, but granted, it's been a long time since I read, uh, since I've read anything Shakespearean. So, well, the the we'll thing see. is, you know, you can read in the uh, the Star Wars trilogy as done by Shakespeare. That's a thing. That's which, true. Oh yeah, I've heard those books are really good. They're interesting. They're not actually written in iambic pentameter, which is what Shakespeare is really famous for. Um, but they use, like, the flowery um, Shakespearean language, the doths, the soothes, the protests, things like that. Speaking of Star Wars, uh, today we are recording on a different date as we usually do. And we just learned about an hour ago that Jeremy Bullock, the, the man who brought Boba Fett to life, has passed away. So we would like to say, you know, our condolences. Uh, Boba Fett's my favorite character, so it's a sad day for me. And... I'd like to dedicate this episode to him. More than welcome to it. So, back to the episode. Yeah, I, I might give the, the Star Wars books a read. Yeah, I've heard from a couple of people they're, they're entertaining. It's kind of a, a way to get into more Shakespeare plays that I haven't read before. Because I know they're all something different. Yeah, well, I mean, look, he wrote... Much Ado About Nothing, he wrote Midsummer Night's Dream, mm -hmm. he wrote Romeo and Juliet, and like 15 plays about guys named Henry. Yeah. But, yeah. the Look, 
the fact that Shakespeare is difficult to read doesn't mean he's difficult to perform. I mean, yeah, it's hard to perform Shakespeare, but there's literally whole companies today dedicated to just performing Shakespeare. Oh, yeah. And I think it just shows that maybe 16-year-old Leonardo DiCaprio might not have been the best choice for... I mean, I don't think he was actually 16. I think he was probably like... 20 i think he was 21 and he was trying to portray an 18 year old 16 year old because i know they're 16 in the play juliet's like 13 or 14 and romeo's like 16 or 17 something like that so they're teenagers in the play yeah you know it it would be hard for most people to try to portray these characters i'm sure when you did this in high school you probably had a little bit of trouble in the beginning Oh, well, um, I never had to... So I had to learn Shakespeare in high school. I had to learn um, Romeo and Juliet, yeah. Hamlet, Henry V, Richard III, all that stuff. I had to like learn those plays for the theater program. Yeah. But I never had to perform them. I performed um, Richard III, which mm-hmm. is great, by the way. Richard III is the greatest Machiavellian villain to have ever existed. It's great. Also, you need to watch... Um, Richard the Third. It start that stars Ian McKellen, okay. which is awesome because it's you know Shakespeare with tanks. It's great. That and Ian McKellen. It's you, also you, Ian McKellen. You had he me sold as soon as you Richard. said his name. So it's yes, like... Gandalf plays uh, Richard the Third, and it's awesome. But yeah, like I never had to perform it, but I've seen it performed very well in like you know theater. Yeah. And you transpose it on the movie, and I get it. Movies are not stage plays. No. But. It's very rare when you get an actor that's, you know, studied and been on the stage before they came to the big screen. No, no, that's actually very common. Well, it's common if you're British. It's very common if you're British. Um, Patrick Stewart, Shakespearean actor. Um, Alan Rickman, he did Shakespeare. Uh, Sir Ian McKellen, we just said. Shakespearean actor. There's huge trolls and trolls and trolls of English actors who do that because over there it's a lot more of a cultural thing. In but America, I, it's just different because but I'm talking we don't have about, But I'm talking about the young actors that we have in the movie that haven't had this education like some of the, the Brits have. Where, you know, oh yeah, you see that they have like some of these specials where they're portraying, you know, King Lear or the other plays. These actors, they're starting from, you know, commercials or sitcoms. So they really don't have a Shakespearean background. Then why cast them? I'm not saying it's like, like that's the thing. You're making excuses for them because they can't say the words, but they're paid to say the words. They're paid they're to say the it. words, but this is also Baz Luhrmann's vision of the movie. So this is who he's envisioning as Romeo. And in my research, I found that Romeo or that Leo DiCaprio was his first pick. Yeah, for Romeo. Leo was like how they got a lot of other people into the movie. Yeah, so you know you you can you know fault that they aren't getting the things out the way you'd like them to, but this is the way that he's envisioning his movie looking well i get look i get that artistic interpretation yeah. autourism i understand that but it's so off kilter when half the cast can basically sing shakespeare and the other cast it's like they're trying to speak greek phonetically and they don't know what they're saying they're just saying words on a paper it's like words 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 that's literally how claire dane acts the entire time she doesn't know what she's saying. She's just saying words, 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 words. And Leo ain't much better unless he's screaming. Hey, you know what? I'm willing to give them a pass because... They're like they're like 19 or something. Yeah, they're, they're in their teens, early 20s. This is a difficult thing to act out. But you really can't fault their acting skills because they put so much emotion into this movie. I, I get it. I understand. There's a lot of emotion on screen, but... He didn't have to keep it that tight to the to the language if because they don't speak with iambic pentameter, they don't use that mode of speech that you would in like a in in on like a stage production. So why so why wouldn't they have just changed some of the language around to make it easier for the actors to say? Again, this probably goes with what he envisioned for this film. I guess. I so guess. you're you're kind of stuck because he could have made it, you know, a modern film with you know modern modern language language. so we understand that yes this is still romeo and juliet but it's easier for them to speak their way through the film 
but this is the way he saw it. He wanted them to speak just like the play, but it to have a modern background. Also, what do the Montagues and the Capulets do? I think they're like business tycoons. They're like construction people? I think so. Okay, because this was another thing. This movie makes zero sense because of that. I'm like, I understand in mo- in the old version of the play where it's like, okay, they're noble houses. Yeah. They basically, you know, are the two main moves and shakers of Verona. You could, they, you can feasibly see the two houses having a quarrel. They get into fights, sword play, and all it's that. It's kind of like Game of Thrones. Yeah, I can, I can wrap my head around that. Yeah. And in every modern interpretation, other than, other than this and maybe a few others, that has been transposed to be their crime families because yeah. that's kind of the only way you can get away with it is that they're two rival mobsters. Like, Tromeo and Juliet got that. The trauma version of Romeo and Juliet. Don't worry, that'll be on an episode one day. But the thing here is, like, they're not above the law in that sense. They're just, they're business tycoons. It sounds like, what if Warren Buffett and Donald Trump's, like, sons got into a knife fight at at the Shakey's Pizza? You think that they would really get into a knife fight? They'd pay people to get into a knife fight for them. In this movie... That's what's happening. It's Trump Jr. and Warren Buffett Jr. I don't think that one of those isn't a real person. And the other one is also a scumbag, but whatever. Are getting into a knife fight at the Shakey's Pizza. That's that's what this is. It's, you know, they're I, and I guess I can kind of roll with it to a point, but boo, they're having like, like Watts riots in the beginning of the movie because they got into a squabble at a gas station. There's a, there's a certain point where this elevated reality kind of is a little too ridiculous. Well, I don't think the riots are because they got into a squabble. I think that this is just the state that the the world in this universe is kind of in. And with the two of them going at it nonstop, it doesn't help. Because you have these two, you know, high up families that should be, you know, setting a good example for everybody. They can't even keep their act together, so... Everyone else feels like, hey, this is kind of a free-for-all, you know, let's just take it to the streets. Well, they say in the beginning, you know, in the place of Fair Verona where we lay our scene, and they go in that the Montague and the Capulets have oh. come to blows in the third civil unrest of the Eight Fall of Law. Yeah. And it seems like these two are the source of this giant civil unrest, which is the riots. And it's, again, I get it, artistic interpretation, I... It, it really is a thing where it doesn't really matter what I think because it can all be explained away with, well, the artist thought this was, this is the artist's interpretation, so it doesn't need to make sense if it has an artistic point. Exactly. It, it's like it's any like, movie. It still doesn't, I can't, I can't rock with this movie as well as I could with like Edward Scissorhands because Edward Scissorhands, the world is, is elevated, right? Yeah. But Edward is this thing where it's like, this is one part of this world that is just turned up to 11 in this strange storybook fairy tale. Mm -hmm. And I could roll with that because it's like, okay, the bounds of the world make sense. And then it's just this one thing that's super out of place. I can get that. In this, it's like the whole world is elevated. And then there's just stuff. There's other stuff in there that is quadruple elevated on top of that. Hashtag Mercutio low-key best character in the movie whatever he is where i don't I, yeah it's it's you know, interesting also I, the party scene i is probably one of the weirdest cut things ever when they're on ecstasy but that makes total sense i can dig i, I that. love the party scene we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit later but i think what you're struggling with you know that it's kind of all over the place the saturation you know this is a story about two teenagers we're kind of seeing the world through their eyes. You know, when you're a teenager, everything's amplified. Emotions, actions. So this is, you know, kind of the way teenagers are where, you know, everything is life and death. You know, there's no, you know, hey, we can work through this. There's another way around it. But this is Romeo and Juliet. It's never going to change. This is how the movie, the play is always going to end. I, I, I see you that. squirming over there. So look, I get that. That this world is supposed to be this very big, fast, bombastic interpretation of the material. And it's meant to be played... It's meant, it's aimed at teenagers. That That's what this is aimed at. It's aimed at teenagers. That's what it's supposed to be about. And it's supposed to be this big, entertaining love story. You know, that's supposed to be an immortalized version of the same immortalized play we've been doing for 400 years. And I get that. Don't get me wrong. There's parts of this movie that are absolutely brilliant. 
Yeah. One of the biggest points that I will say is when they first see each other at the party, where it's uh, between the fish tank. I love that scene. Now, here's why that is brilliant. They're watching each other through the fish tank, mm-hmm. through through this big refraction of water. Yeah. And they're not seeing each other. They're seeing these big blown up things. Because when you look through that fish tank, they appear larger, yeah. more detailed. They, be, they look larger in life. And that's where they, oh, they fall in love for the first time. Yeah. And we're literally seeing a visual interpretation of how they see each other at first. It's first. It's somebody's first love. Yeah. Where there will always be these big monolithic things in their mind and their memories and their hearts. You know, mm-hmm. you never forget your first kiss. You never forget your first love. And that is an immaculate interpretation of that moment. And it's great. Also, there's a lot of water motifs in this, which yeah, is interesting. Yeah, throughout the entire movie, it's and, sur- surrounded by water. And also the subversion where the they meet for the they meet you know juliet through light yonder window breaks for it is the east and juliet is the sun Sun, yes and you're supposed to see them you know separated by the balcony and romeo is Mm -hmm. you know confessing his love to her but he but lerman subverts that where instead of it making it you know far distance love calling to each other it makes it very close and intimate because she comes out by the pool and he's like trying to you know play coy and it's very nice it's romantic it's kind of erotic it's very interesting yeah and it's one of those things where it's that closeness that they have and it's so far away and it's a very interesting turn on the material don't get me wrong there's parts of the movie that are brilliant i still think that half the actors don't know what the fuck they're saying but that's besides the point (laughs) there's parts of the movie that are really good yeah like i'm not gonna say this movie is trash i've seen trash this movie's not trash so let's talk about some of the good in this movie because I know we could keep going round and round with the way that they're you, acting. You of... have to agree, some of the acting in this movie is subpar, right? Some of them go a little too ham. Okay. So I can agree with that. You Can you also agree that some of the actors, how they go through the lines, doesn't really feel like there's emotion behind it. They're just saying words. In some scenes, yes. Okay. Not in all. Uh, no, 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 not and, in and, all. And, and some I get, actors, you know, can carry it. It's fine. But and I get during the emotional scenes when they're, you know, upset or they're yelling, it's more believable. But it's also easier, you know, to really get into the moment. Yeah, it's when, easier to emote when you yes. when your director says you're angry, you're mad, you're yelling. Yeah, yeah that's easy yeah. to emote when you're like yelling to the sky in a rainstorm. As but Leo when you don't speak off. like this on a daily basis, of course, it's going to be hard. It's going to be I like don't think, it, I don't think Pete Pastorella that of I don't think Father Lawrence speaks in a Shakespearean accent all the time, but he can sing those words. Yeah, he can. So, you know, I, I'm willing to give them, you know... A pass. A pass okay. on that. It, it's like someone doing a foreign movie and they don't speak that language in the movie. And they're just trying to make their way through it. They're learning the language. It, yeah, yeah, it's they're... like when people have to speak, like, Elvish in Lord of the Rings yeah. films. Where it's like, technically, it's it's a developed language because Tolkien was a, a, a literal language guy. He invented languages for fun and that's yeah. a fleshed out language for the most part. But let's be honest here, you're not speaking Elvish on a daily basis. But it is awesome to note that Arwen from, uh, the actress who played Arwen from Lord of the Rings still remembers all her Elvish from Lord of the Rings. Oh, Liv Tyler? Yeah, Liv Tyler. And it's great. Oh my god, she did a thing with Stephen Colbert and it was the greatest thing I've ever seen in my life. Besides the point, I talk really fast when I'm excited about Lord of the Rings. I know you do. So, you want to talk about the party? I like the party. I thought the party was a very good scene. They're... Again, I'm going to keep saying, make another point. This film looks like it is edited by a cokehead because it just cuts everywhere. But in the party, it works. And I well, think yeah, that's the thing. Well, yeah, because they're on ecstasy in the party, right? Yeah. Where it's interesting because that's, uh, I think there was supposed to be like a drug or some sort of drought or whatever that they took in a play. Mm-hmm that they changed to ecstasy which is a clever again a clever twist and that was a big thing in the 90s too a lot of people for raves were were taking ecstasy yeah, so yeah. it goes with the times and you know we see through romeo's eyes what the party looks like on ecstasy and it's just horrifying horrifying and you know you've got flashing lights and colors and there's just people surrounding you so yeah i'd probably freak out if i was going through something like that but at the party, apart from the the fish tank scene, which is beautiful, and their first kiss, 
We also get Mercutio performing, performing Young Hearts, which yeah. is one of the best parts of the movie. There's a, yes, okay. I, I get, love that scene. It's it's cool, and also there's that's gonna bring me to another point about this movie that I think is just weird. I don't think it's bad; it's just weird. Where I get it, they're like in that scene, Mercutio, because like Mercutio, the he steals every every scene he's in. He does because he he knows the material, he knows how to to portray it, and even though. Yeah, it's this big, flowery, romantic, Shakespearean language. He is like, yo, I'm, scenery, I'm kind of hungry. I'm going to chew the hell out of you as I go through this. And it's great. Yeah. But yeah, so he sings the song. And also there's a part where this gospel choir sings when doves cry. Oh, that, that part is beautiful. Look, I get it. It's pretty. But what the fuck? It's beautiful. I, what the fuck? Yeah, they're singing when does cry in this giant gospel thing and don't yeah. get me wrong it's cool as hell hey jude from across the universe where's the gospel choir is the best part about that movie but here i'm like what i it just, just kind of comes out of nowhere which i get it modern interpretation of the film material whatever does cry is a great song don't get me wrong but it's just so weird but i mean look up the lyrics to the song you know we're, we're, maybe i'm just too demanding maybe, maybe i'm maybe. just like my father you know we're, we're this is where romeo's talking to father lawrence about setting up a wedding and father lawrence is telling him you know weren't you just in love with rosaline and romeo's like you know that was kind of a false thing this you know i actually my eyes are open and i see what love really is and that's why you have when doves cry because this is kind of a pure love. With Rosaline, it was more of a lust kind of thing. So we're seeing and hearing the, the pureness Maybe of the two. Maybe I'm just too demanding. Maybe I'm never satisfied. Yeah. This is what it sounds like, like when, when doves cry. cry. And also, then, let's be honest. He probably put it in there because Baz Luhrmann just likes Prince. I mean, who doesn't? Good point. But, but this is when we also get the premonition from Father Lawrence that the union between these two people could bring... Um, much more peace to Verona because the parents, you know, could possibly say, you know, Hey, they do it would love unify each other. The families, it yeah. would, it would bring the families together and it could have, but it's Romeo and Juliet and it's always going to hit that hard left. And he cried at the ending. We know you don't have to front for everyone. Not this time. Not this time. Not every, this... every other time though. Not every other time. Right. Right. She does have a heart. I swear. Uh... She cries at the end of Romeo and Juliet. She's no, trying to hide it from us. No, I don't. But yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. The ending is sad. The ending is always sad. And honestly, the ending is actually beautifully shot. It oh, also... Yeah. Okay. When Romeo was walking into the church and it's the candlelight, it's this big gothic church, and there's yeah. these neon crosses everywhere, that just, just encapsulates the entire tone of the film in one shot. Yeah. It's candlelight covered in neon. Mm -hmm. It's... It's... It's goth it's like gothic um pastels yeah where it's this really bright flashy interpretation of this old like revered material and that it encapsulates the entire movie in that one shot mm -hmm. and it pisses me off that i gotta wait through the whole movie to get to that i mean it's a beautiful scene the way it's set the way it's acted yeah and you just feel so bad because you want it to work and you try to rationalize it it's not going to but we're always going to end up here and it's always going to be tragic, but it's still beautiful. At the I mean, same it's called time. the tragedy of Romeo, Romeo and Juliet. Juliet. Yes. People but, forget it's It's you can't say you were surprised by the ending when it opens with no. tragedy of Romeo and Juliet. No, of it's course in, I'm it's in the title. No, of course. Of course. But yeah, yeah. it's a beautiful scene. Uh, apparently when Romeo makes a speech before he drinks the poison, mm -hmm. uh, Claire Danes was so moved by... Uh, she almost started crying. Yeah, it yeah. Was just, she ended up hitting Leo because she was like, that was just too beautiful, you know, stop it. Don't make me cry when I'm in the scene, man. And it's like, yeah, you know, you could just see the the devastation in his eyes and you could feel it and you, you just see that he is so ready to die to be with her. And yeah. that, that's just so tragic that, you know, even though they, they were only together for... This is, like, what, a couple of days? I don't think a full week has passed. Um, well, it's supposed to be the spur of the moment thing. It's supposed to be a... In the universe, I think it's supposed to be, like, a couple weeks. But in the movie, it plays out like it's a couple days. But, 
so, that's a whole other so thing. yeah so it, it's it's heartbreaking to see you know this person that you finally found after looking for somebody for however long mm-hmm. you know is just gone well it's it's the whole thing where it's um teenage romance and that's why they keep teaching this in high school yeah your first love is not going to be your only love your first love is guys don't murder yourselves over your over your high school boyfriend it's fine he's just a douchebag with a motorcycle that is basically the re- why they teach these in american high schools girls just because he's got a motorcycle and smokes doesn't mean he's going to be your love forever <laughs> I mean, you're my first love, so yes. should I not settle? Or is that what you're trying to tell me? Oh, wow. No, I don't drive a motorcycle and I don't smoke. Whatever. But, you, like, look. Hey, you just said you, your, you, your first love is not your, you know, your not, only love. Look, you're, well, the whole point of it, I guess this is why they, in my high school, because our high school had a problem with girls getting pregnant at 15, was, guys, look. You, you guys are in love, but, you know, you're 15. You got a lot of life ahead of you. If it's your first love, sure, fine. If it works out, cool. But, girls, don't get preggers before you can drive. Yeah, but, I mean, that's not really what... that that or... that's, that's how it was taught in my school. I don't know about your school, though. No, that, that wasn't how it was taught in our school. It was just taught, you know, basically... Kind of the same lines where, you know, your first love is not your only love. You know, don't do anything drastic. Drastic, And also, the world isn't so black and white. You know, where it's, you know, hey, she's passed away. I've got to kill myself. It's like, no, you know, this person might have come into your life to teach you something. And you never know who you're going to meet down the line. And then they've made a whole song genre where it's like, no, guys follow her into the dark man like hey the... that is a great song food it's okay guys the black eyeliner is coming on it's okay it's fine look i get it my emo past is gonna kick your ass i i look i get it the themes of the play are numerous and have been talked to death for 400 yeah. years but you know there's there's only so much we can say about the film the film is adequate i it's fun it's a little it might be a little difficult to get through now like if you've never seen this movie before like okay if you're 15 and you've never seen this movie before you think you'll probably get a kick out of it you might because leo still very leo and claire danes are still very much present in hollywood yeah so people would know about them 15 year olds more or less would probably know more about Leo because I think well, I mean, Claire Danes even, is doing... Well, I mean, starring role. It's just like, would you enjoy the movie if you're 15? I don't I think... think yeah, because it's a lot of emotion. It's a lot of emotion. It's a romance. So I, I think, you know, 15-year-old girls would enjoy it. Mm-hmm. it it's still going to be sad when you get to the ending. Okay. So I think it would still be enjoyable. Uh, it might be easier once you, look, you know, read the play in school. So you kind of get, you know, a, a grasp of what's going let's, on. Let's be honest here. Let's let's just be real. The reason you watch this movie is so you don't have to read the play in school. Mm, for, no. for God's sakes, the movie even portrays itself as like, this line here is important. Sparks knows this. Where it's like, a plague on both your houses. And then lightning strikes. That's almost like saying, guys, use this in your essay. It's, it's right here. Hey, that's a great quote. It's a great quote. And it has lightning behind it. It's like an it's like a check mark saying, guys, right here, make sure to include this in the play or in your essay for about the play. It's fine. Like, don't get me wrong. It's fine. It's cool. Whatever. And that's like the first heartbreak of the movie is when Mercutio dies. Yeah, yeah. I think he's the first death in the film. I don't know if he's the first death. Tybalt dies after him. Sorry, guys, we're, we're, we're spoiling it if you haven't seen it. Oh, God, this movie's 20-something years old now. But not everyone's seen it, so in case you haven't seen it or read the play. so Okay, I refuse to say spoiler warning for a 400-year-old play. Okay, guys? No, like, Noah's Ark survives the flood. There you go, I just spoiled a 2,000-year-old book. Wow, Dean's just full of spoilers today. The sun will rise tomorrow. There's another spoiler for you all. We don't know that. I'm pretty sure. I got, I, you know what? I got an inside 
inside bet on this one. But look. Your betting record isn't so great, so I don't think you should be throwing down some bets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But look. The the film, like, yeah, there's a couple of deaths in the movie. It's emotional. It's this world in this teenage mindset, and it's interesting. It's big. But it's super 90s. It's super 90s, and you see that Mercutio is more with the Montagues, but he's still very much in the middle where he talks to the Capulets. Because before his death, you know, Tybalt's kind of trying to pull him over to their side, but Mercutio's always been Romeo's best friend. Yeah. So you kind of see that struggle, and it would be like in high school too, you know, if there's two groups of people, and that's kind of like, you know, there's that one person that's friends with both, and you're kind of like, no man, you know, come hang out with us. No, come hang out with us. It, and, and it's it, just, it's high school drama. That, I yeah. think that's why this movie would work. It's because it's an encapsulation of high school drama with this veneer of Shakespearean eloquence over it. Which is also what Shakespeare was going for. It's this veneer of teenage drama with yeah. this with this flowery language on top of it. Which is interesting. It's nice. It's fun. It's lovely. Because but even yeah. four, 400 years later, teenagers are still the same way. It's always going to be drama sadness and i mean i had a pretty good teenage years but that's just me i was apparently i was the outlier that and you're just kind of you know float your way through life you're like oh i didn't notice that better to be lucky than good but yeah so that's pretty much the the round out of the movie if we wanted to be honest i mean some interesting things you know happen in the movie i mean not just within the the play but did you know that the hairstylist for the movie got kidnapped during filming? And the ransom was only 300 bucks? Well, yeah, you know, it was the 90s, so... Also, 300... That's how you know this was filmed in Mexico. How much, the how, much was the, how much was the ransom for? 300 bucks? The last time was like, oh, really? Okay, get, get, I'll get that out of my wallet real quick. Uh, I got one for you that you might like. Um, so, Paul Rudd was in this film. Yes, he was. And, Love Paul Rudd. And... Also, Paul Rudd has not aged since. He never will. Yeah. He's immortal. So Paul Rudd and Leo were going out for lunch, and mm-hmm. Leo was telling him, hey, I'm being considered for this role of Titanic, and because Paul Rudd's family, I guess, were history nerds, he told him about the whole thing. He said, dude, you should so go for this part. His dad was. His dad was a big fan of the Titanic and just knew just about everything about the crash, the ship. Yeah. So, yeah, everyone that loves Titanic, us included, Thank you, Paul Rudd, because you got, Titanic you would not Leo. be the same without Leo. So, yeah. No, no, there's so, a bunch of cool stuff in here. Yeah, there's, you know, lots of little things like, you know, Claire Danes wasn't the first choice to be Juliet. I guess Jennifer Love Hewitt, Sarah Michelle Gellar, Aaliyah, uh, Natalie Portman, they all auditioned to be Juliet. Yeah, and, wouldn't surprise me. And I think Natalie Portman was the closest to becoming Juliet. But she was younger than Claire Danes at the time, so she had to do a kissing Who? scene with Natalie Portman. How old was... Wait, when did Leon the... Jesus Christ, she probably been, what, like 15? I think Six... she might have been around 14. Yeah. So she would have been closer to Juliet's actual age. And Leo was like, guys, I'm like 20. I know I look 17, but this is a little weird. Yeah, and once Basil Luhrmann saw the two of them together, he was like, yeah, this isn't going to work. This ain't going to fly. It doesn't look right. So I I think Claire Danes was the appropriate choice. Yeah. Because she's just, she really embodies Juliet. Juliet's kind of, you know, know, I I do buy what my family says. But, you know, once she meets the love of her life, it's, you know, it's all about him. And I will, you know, stand for my man. So, I think she she was the right choice in this movie. If only she could save the life. You know, I ain't gonna get, hey, get on that. Again, sure, it, it, it was her it. first time. It was her first time. Yes, yes. It was Juliet's first time. But yeah, I get it. And I mean, even people that auditioned to be Mercutio, Ewan McGregor, Christian Bale... And John Leguizamo. I do like Ewan McGregor. Maybe. I don't know. I really like, I really like the guy who played Mercutio, though. Yeah, that's why I, I was in the same boat. You know, I love Ewan McGregor. You know, hello there. All right. There you but, go. yeah, I, I think Mercutio is an ex- who they chose was excellent for this movie. Mm-hmm. 
um, Benicio del Toro was considered for Tybalt. Yeah. That so it's also, like is that a okay? Why does it seem like the film is basically El Mariachi versus like truck stop white trash? When did El Mariachi come out? Oh, like ninety three. There could have been influences from that. No, like okay, stop with this whole influence stuff. Like for God's sakes. John Wazama has the Virgin Mary on the on the pistol grips of his sword. Yeah. Quote unquote. And he's fighting these guys who look like the white trash leftovers from like Huntington Beach. Yeah. What that's not a whole oh, I was influenced by watching El Mariachi. It was like, no, bro, like you were like, we're gonna have the Mexicans versus the the Italians and they're just gonna go at it in Venice Beach. That there's some insane things about this movie. Admit this to me. Except the Mexicans wouldn't go against the Italians. It's... That does... That's not the point. Hey, is it pissing you off? And that'll be it for the Film Club podcast, (laughs) ladies and gentlemen. He's so salty. He just doesn't want to admit that he enjoyed the film. He loves chick flicks. The Look, the film was fine. I'll say this. It wasn't terrible. I'll say it. Yeah, I'll say it like I said before. It wasn't a terrible movie. You'll probably enjoy it. Do you have it's a favorite? Whatever. Do you have a favorite part of the movie? A pa- favorite scene? Oh, the ending scene is fantastic. Like, okay. The party scene where they meet for the first time. Where, you know, when they see each other through yeah. the fish thing. I think that's great. I think when they're at the pool and he's reciting the, mm-hmm. the, the famous stuff from Romeo yeah. and Juliet. That's really good. And the ending scene, yes, it all of it works. Baz Luhrmann knows how to stage a scene. You know, it's just there's some stuff in that movie where it's like Baz Luhrmann is a crazy person and the editor was on cocaine. Like, you're going to watch the opening scene and that's going to tell you exactly if you're going to like this movie. Because the whole movie is like that. Yeah. So, yeah. like I, I really love the, the elevator scene where they have their first kiss. Yeah, it's a cutesy scene, you know. It's a cutesy scene, but it also artistically, the way it was shot, with uh, the elevator being a series of panels, so that's how you get that, that you know, motion of them, you know, just it's going around in circles. Yeah, no, I, I don't know if you've really seen that. I don't know if you've seen the behind the scenes where they filmed them doing that, mm-hmm. and they just you know lift the the panels as the camera goes by. So genius. Yeah, it's no, like, that's 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 that, basic. Yeah, no, I get what you so mean. So it's like. I, you know, I just love that this movie has a lot of well thought out scenes that just feel so effortless. Because you you think you know the fish tank, yeah. It, it's like okay, that's something that we can work with, and it know, is also aids to shoot. Yeah, because glare and water. But as soon as they cut the lights, it was perfect, and you get you know that that beautiful blue that transcends through the water and it you know accentuates their features on their faces first love as first love sees it yes and you know yeah i'll again all honesty it's a fine movie probably not my favorite but it's fine it's good i mean if it was on tv i wouldn't turn it off immediately but yeah it was okay there you go i i don't hate your movie (laughs) if that's what you wanted to get out of me i don't hate your movie no, I, I just, I'm surprised you sat through it. I thought you were going to fight me more on it. Why would I? Because it's, it's you. So other than Boo thinking I hate every movie uh, she picks, which I don't, you just, sometimes you pick some rough movies, besides the point. Yeah, I pick rough movies, Mr. Arthouse. Hey, so, Eraserhead is glorious, but let's no, keep going. No, it, it's not, but we're going to continue with our Guilty Pleasures Month, and in doing so... We do not tell each other what the pick is until the end of the episode. So this is Dean's first pick for Guilty Pleasures Month. And, oh, guys, say a prayer for me because I know it's probably going to be a rough one. No, it won't. So let's give you a drum roll. Nah, we don't need no drum roll. I'm going to go through how I came to this pick because I have a lot of movies. Of course, Dean can't just, you know, pick out a movie. He's got to give, you know, a whole villainous speech, you know, why he's doing this. And then the hero, you know, offs you because you're so busy talking. So I'm going to go back to finishing my thought. (sighs) Thank you. So the movie I pick 
I thought about it for a long time. I was like, do I pick anything? You know, we can make you watch some Air Bud movies. I remember those as a kid, but I haven't seen them in a long time. And I already know they haven't aged well. I can make you watch like an Adam Sandler movie. But honestly, I know which ones are good and which ones are pretty bad. And I didn't want to put you through that. So I decided to pick a movie that I can almost recite from memory. Because I saw it so many times as a child. And it's great because it's got Rico's Roughnecks. We're watching Starship Troopers for oh, our next geez. Guilty Pleasure Month. Ooh, buddy. In this movie, I ain't gonna lie. I don't even feel a little bit guilty for liking this movie because it is oh. awesome. Because the only good bug is a dead bug. It's great. You gotta see Jack Busey. You're gonna see Neil Patrick Harris. It's gonna be awesome. What? You ever seen this movie before, Boo? I have not seen this, so... you never seen Starship Troopers? Boys, yeah. it's going on. We're doing it. It's so good. Well, yeah. So that's what we'll be watching uh, next week at the Film Club Podcast. Yeah, so we're watching that. I'm ecstatic, as you can probably tell from my voice. So if you want to follow us on social media, you can follow us at the Film Club Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. And if you want to listen to us on a different platform, we are on Anchor FM, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else that they're streaming would you like to say a message before we close it up for the day if you want to hear more of me talk about movies you can follow me on in the frame which is the youtube channel that hosts my other podcast double feature podcast and too obscure for tv those you can find anywhere where podcasts are sold but there you go that's about it one plug one shameless plug for me i can't wait we're gonna watch starship troopers next week it's gonna be lit Oh, buddy. So, yeah. yeah. All right. We'll see you next week at the film club. Peace.